Hi, I'm Pastor Kaylee. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Wood Street Chapel in Fortuna, California. You can find out more information about our church at www.woodstreetchapel.org. This morning, as we continue our study through the book of Mark, we are once again facing what I feel is a fitting topic, (laughs) given the, the recent events. Today we're talking about how there is no storm that is a match for Jesus. <laughs> now, I, I don't know about any of you, but Friday night, I thought the thunderstorm was like inside my house. It's <laughs> kind of what it was starting to sound like. Eve was like, our house is shaking. <laughs> so yeah, I know. It's, it's a lot, huh? Before we go too far into this passage, I think it's important to remind ourselves that While we use storms to talk about struggles, hardships, difficult things in our life, this passage in Mark is talking about an actual storm. It's talking about thunder, lightning, rain, wind on the open sea, okay? So sometimes it's easy to kind of we, we look at the Bible sometimes and we say, well, that, that's an interesting analogy or that, that's an interesting, you know, idea. This is a real life event that took place. This is history. This is an actual storm with actual disciples that are going through it with Jesus. And so we get to receive from this passage and, and obviously we aren't on a boat in the middle of the ocean right? <laughs> and so for us, it's okay to draw that, that analogy of, okay, just like Jesus was present in that storm, he's also present in the storms of my life. I'm not saying that that's an inaccurate uh, interpretation or inaccurate application, but it's important to recognize it's real. There has... I'm sure you guys have probably heard this. You are, it's been said that you are either in a storm, just coming out of a storm, or about to go into a storm. And no, there isn't an option that just doesn't involve storms, apparently. Uh, wouldn't that be the, the better, <laughs> better choice? Can we, can we just forego storms? Have you ever tried to stop one? I think to to Ferndale. (laughs) Ferndale, anytime it rains for any period of time, it it is an exercise in futility and in terms of how we can stop the storm, right? And it's not stopping the storm, it's stopping the results of the storm. How How do we stop the water that is trying so hard to get into a place that we don't want it to get into? If you come look in my backyard right now, it, it it looks like that. <laughs> we we have ducks that love our backyard right now. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> have you ever tried to to use sandbags to stop something from coming through? I mean, if you look at at the Army Corps of Engineers and at what it takes to try and and protect a, a populated area from flooding, I mean, it's almost an exercise in futility. I mean, if you think of like Hurricane Katrina and the, the levees that broke, that, that all of that flood water just came through. I mean, ultimately, there is, there is very little that we can control. And, you know, it sounds like a silly thing to ask. Have you ever tried to stop a storm 
We try to make sure our, our property stays intact. We try to make sure things drain and flow where they're supposed to. But ultimately, the wind and the rain go where they're going to go. And so we have these three areas that we can exist, right? We're either before the storm, in the storm, or on the other side coming out of a storm. And so before this storm, in Mark chapter 4, verse 35, we have this this context that has kind of been brewing for all four chapters, really. Think back to what has happened around the Sea of Galilee up to this point. So we're, we're four chapters into the book of Mark, and I've been pretty intentional about calling out that Jesus has been around this water. Jesus called fishermen from the Sea of Galilee to be his first disciples, right? In Mark chapter 1, he goes out and he, he calls these fishermen out. The, the disciples were fishing in the evening. Let's keep in the evening in, in mind. That, we're going to come back to that. They're, they're fishing in the evening, and Jesus calls Andrew, Peter, James, and John. He says, hey, come follow me, and I'm going to make you fishers of men. And we, we like that as a church term, right? We, we like to hang on to that because we think that that's important, it was just applicable to them. It really doesn't apply to us, but we like saying that it does. Um, <laughs> I'm going to make you guys fishers of men. Leave the fish, leave your boat, leave your business, leave everything that you know, and come follow me, and I'm going to make you fishers of men. So he calls them out of the water. As Jesus' ministry increases, he, he stays around the Sea of Galilee. And it's not just me making that up. We see over and over and over again that Mark is calling out that Jesus is around the Sea of Galilee, that they're walking around the Sea of Galilee. It, it, it is a common theme that has come up so far in Mark 2, 13, 3, 7, and 4, 1. There are multiple instances where this special note has been made. And it would be so easy just to skip it. <laughs> it would be so easy to be like, well, that's great, Matt. But there's no wasted words in the Bible. So, I mean, Mark's bringing it up for a reason, that Jesus is around the sea. The point is being made that Jesus didn't get in a boat and he sailed across the sea. He walked around it. He's walking around, he's preaching in that localized area, he's, he's doing what it is that, that he is, is intending to do, but he's walking around the sea. And it's important to note that all the while, these disciples that have been called off of the water are always within arm's reach of the water. Leave everything that you know and come follow me, but it's all going to still be right there. And you have to wonder that during those times where Jesus is like, yeah, don't bring any food. It'll get taken care of. They're like, yeah, but the, the boat's right there. We could just get our own dinner. He's like, no, we don't, we don't need to do that. We've got a different plan. Your livelihood is no longer defined by that boat. Your livelihood is no longer defined by the fish that you get with that boat. Your livelihood is now tied to who I am. And so we, we further see, if we, we look back to last week, that Jesus, he, he starts preaching. 
And as he starts preaching, the crowds come. The crowds come looking for healing, looking to hear what it is that he has to share in Mark chapter 4, verse 1. And finally, it gets such to be such a large crowd that he needs to get into a boat. And you can see the disciples, and he's getting in a boat. Maybe we get to actually like get in a boat and like go do something. And so he gets in the boat, and they, they push off from shore, and he's speaking from the boat to the, the people. And then finally they set out. The, the one night that they decide to set out into the boat, after all of this time walking around the sea, they go out into a storm. <laughs> Jesus used this space as he's preaching, and then he... It says that he invited those with, that were with him to go. Most of us are probably familiar with this part of Scripture, right? Most of us have probably heard this particular part of the Bible where, yeah, yeah, Jesus calms the storm. He was asleep in the boat. We got it. How does this apply to us today? And here's the crazy thing that maybe you haven't thought about. And just stop for a minute and consider this. If Jesus could stop the storm, he could have predicted the storm. And yet he led them through it anyway. If Jesus is powerful enough to calm the storm, to speak to the waves, to say, peace, be still. If he was powerful enough to calm all of that, then wouldn't he have been powerful enough to know that the storm was going to be there in the first place? Of course, and yet he took them through it anyway. Jesus had been leading his disciples around the sea for all this time until this night that he chose to get in the boat. This was the night that he picked out of all of the time up till now. This was the night that he got in the boat. Sometimes we are led into storms. Sometimes we walk ourselves into storms. (laughs) But sometimes we are led into storms where we find ourselves so that we can grow to be more dependent on him. If you're learning how to swim... You're teaching uh, your your child or or someone to swim. They they start to kind of get some some confidence. They're in the the part of the pool where they can touch, and they're they're just having a great time, and everything's good. As soon as you get into the deep end, all of a sudden, who do you hang on to? You hang on to your, your salvation. You hang on to your rescue. Starting at verse 35, it says, On that day... When evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And the other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him, and they said to him, teacher, don't you care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the sea. Peace be still. 
And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear. And they said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So if we're, we're talking about during the storm, we, we've talked about before the storm, but now during the storm, we have these seasoned fishermen. I mean, this is their life. They're in this boat saying, we're going to die. You know, you think of like Deadliest Catch. I don't know if you guys ever watched that. Like, <laughs> where you see these guys fishing in the Bering Sea and I don't think it was quite like that, but we can imagine. <laughs> you know, I, I kind of imagine, you know, those, those crab boat fishermen in the Bering Sea and these, these swells where you're just going straight down. Like, maybe that's what it felt like. Me, we are in trouble. And yet, here's this guy who did not grow up in a fishing boat. Here's a land-loving carpenter who's asleep in the boat. Proverbs 3.24, when you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Psalms 4.8 says, in peace, I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. Jesus knew what he was, what he was dealing with. This is, this is not my end. I've come for the cross. So I'm going to take a nap. What we see here is if you fail to understand who Jesus is, you will not be able to ever comprehend what it is that he does. And what I mean by that is when the disciples went to wake Jesus up, what did they call him? Teacher. That, that's all they know about Jesus right now is that he, he's a, a teacher. And, and you kind of hear that if you ask people who Jesus was that maybe don't believe, don't, that aren't followers of Christ. You know, who was Jesus? A really good man. He, he was a, a good teacher. They say, teacher, wake up, rabbi, wake up. The, the, the context in which we know you, <laughs> we need you to wake up and what are we supposed to do here? In this moment, the disciples needed more than just a teacher. In this moment, the disciples needed the creator God of the universe to wake up and, and get engaged in the situation. But they didn't, they didn't have that context to work with. And so they, they asked this question, don't you even care that we're going to die? See, when you don't understand who Jesus is, you begin to question his intentions towards you. When you don't recognize, like we're saying, that he is perfect in all of his ways. When you stop and when you don't understand that he is that good, good father, you start to question. Jesus Christ went to the cross for you. Jesus desires nothing but our highest and most complete good. Of course he cares. Some of us look at our circumstances and ask the same questions. Does God even care that I am going through this seemingly impossible right now? 
Or similarly, does God even know that I'm going through the impossible right now? Or the third option, is God even able to intervene in this situation? The answer is yes. <laughs> yes to all three. God cares because he's right there with you. He's in the midst of it with you. He is holding you every step of the way. If he wasn't there, do you know how much worse it would be? Of course he knows. And of course he is able The God who defeated the grave, the God who who overcame death is more than able to intervene in the situations that you find yourselves in this morning. Only God has the ability to rebuke the forces of nature and the forces of evil. That's what we see in in Mark chapter 4. In verse 39, Jesus rebukes the storm and he says, peace be still. So far in Mark, the only other time that the word rebuke, that that specific word has been used, is when he is rebuking a demon. Now that's kind of interesting to consider for a moment. Does that mean that this storm has some demonic, you know, involvement? I don't know. But let me ask you this. If Satan is watching everything that's taking place around the Sea of Galilee. And all of a sudden, the disciples and Jesus put themselves in a boat and they go out into the middle of it. Why wouldn't you want to sink that boat? Why wouldn't that be something that the enemy works to try and and destroy the, the plan that God has already put in motion. It's an interesting thought. Is there anything in the Bible that says that? No. <laughs> okay, this, this is just thinking. But, but consider for a minute what that would mean. So we have Jesus standing in the boat, rebuking the wind and the waves. You don't have more power than I do. Peace be still. So far, Jesus has done some really miraculous stuff. If we look at the works of Jesus from Mark 1 up to this point, there's been some really miraculous things that have happened. But if you look at what has happened so far, some of that, a lot of those things have already been done. A lot of those things have already been done by the prophets in the Old Testament. If you look back to Elijah and Elisha, you look back to to some of those things. It's like, okay, yeah, Jesus is like, He's okay. But this, this sets him apart. Here we see this proclamation that, that I am the creator of the universe. Jesus is the only one who can control the storm. Job 38, 8 through 11. Who shut up the sea behind the doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness. When I fixed the limits for it and set its doors and bars in place. When I said, this far you may come and no further. Here is where your proud waves halt. That's the one who can talk to the waves and say, peace, be still. Psalm 107, 23 through 32. 
Some went out on the sea in ships, and they were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunkards, and they were at their wit's end. And then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of elders. I mean, this sounds like exactly what just happened in Mark. Only the creator of the universe could do what Jesus just did. And Jesus says, yeah, and? That's why the disciples are so freaked out. They, they all of a sudden recognize there's something different about this. There's more to this guy than just a good teacher. Jesus says, yeah, start connecting the dots. I am. I am the God who spoke the earth into motion, who has established the limits of the sea. I am, even though you can never be. The most caring thing that Jesus could do for his disciples in that, in that evening was to lead them through the storm that he could control. You know, it would be so tempting to say that the most loving thing that Jesus could have done was to help his disciples avoid the storm altogether. But that's not the case. The disciples had to go through the storm, go through the terrifying moment to only then understand that they were with the creator God. That they were with someone who is more than just a teacher. For the disciples and for the people of that time, being out in, in the sea, there was a place of chaos. There's a place of fear, a place of, of death, of, of the unknown. But here we have Jesus demonstrating complete authority. When you start thinking about boats in the midst of a storm, it points us back to another figure that we see in the Old Testament. You have this, this figure of Jonah. Jonah in the boat, right? We, we kind of know this from Sunday school. And what we see over and over through these, the comparison of these two is that Jesus is the greater Jonah. Jesus is the greater Jonah. For while Jonah was delivering the word of God, Jesus is the word of God. Jesus is the, the greater Jonah. For while Jonah slept through the storm because he was, was tired and he was concerned for his own well-being, Jesus slept because he knew who he was. While Jonah was traveling, while Jonah's traveling companions were in danger because of his presence with them, the disciples were the safest because Jesus was in their midst. While Jonah had to be thrown out of the boat to stop the storm, Jesus stayed in the boat to calm the storm. 
While Jonah rose from the belly of a fish after three days, Jesus rose from the grave after three days, defeating sin, death, and the powers of hell. While Jonah reached a sinful city, Jesus reached a sinful world. And we see all of these different comparisons. And so if you have to be in the storm, it is best to be in the storm with Jesus in the boat. Think about that for a moment. Again, this is is maybe taking a little bit of, of creative license, but just think for a moment if these four disciples that were called out of the fishing boat, right? Peter, James, John, and Andrew. If they were called out of the fishing boat, what if, what if they were called by Jesus and didn't pass? We're not going to. Because they were fishing in the evening. That, that's when they were called out. It stands to reason that they could have very much been out on the sea this night. Just doing their fishing like they normally would. Except that time, Jesus wouldn't be in the boat. That's a problem. So we have before the storm, we have during the storm, and we have after the storm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear, and they said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Pay attention to the word great. Great has been used a few different times in here. The disciples went through a great storm, is what what it says. And if you look at the translation, the word great, mega. Mega storm. And then there's the word great comes up again when it's talking about the calm, a great calm. A mega calm. And their response is that they then have a great fear. So we have a great storm. Jesus brings a great calm. And the response from the disciples is a great fear. The disciples were afraid of the storm when they should have feared the one who was sleeping through the storm. They, they start to realize that their teacher, their rabbi, is maybe a little bit more than they first suspected. And so if we look at this last verse, we start to understand that the point of, of this being present in the word of God isn't that Jesus is going to always calm your storm. That is not what this is about. The fact of the matter is, is that he can calm your storm. The story doesn't end on the storm going quiet. But with the disciples wondering in awe at the Savior, recognizing that Jesus is more than anything that they have imagined up to this point. Jesus is not always going to take your storm away. And sometimes that's a hard thing to to consider. How How do we approach life knowing that there are going to be times where where we are going to go through storms that seem impossible, that seem difficult. 
And Jesus isn't going to do anything to take it away from us. It comes down to perspective. As, as so many things do, it comes down to perspective. When I am in the middle of a storm, what is the, the only thing that I see? That storm. <laughs> when I'm in the middle of difficulty, when I'm in the middle of hardship, the only thing that I see is the size of the waves, how much the wind is blowing, how dark the sky is. Those are the things that have my attention. And yet we serve a God that's bigger than that. He doesn't just have a perspective that just includes the storm. He has a, an eternal perspective. And so our prayer in the midst of the challenges and the trials that we face is, God, give me that eternal perspective to recognize that this is a point in time. This is but a moment, and I'm serving you for all of eternity. And God, if that means that for this season, I am in this difficulty, then I will serve you in the midst of it. That is the, the prayer of, of my heart as I'm in the midst of whatever hardship I find myself in. Is it becomes less, God, get me out of this. And God, help me to, to learn how to serve you while I move through this, while you guide me through this. Because I, I can't control the wind and the waves. But I'm in the boat with the one who can and so if Jesus has seen it fit for me to be with him through this particular moment, then this is where I am. If Jesus has seen it fit for you to be in the boat in this particular season, wherever you guys find yourselves, then that's where you are. And no amount of complaining or worrying about it is going to change that. However, we can say, God, teach us. Teach us how to rely on you. Teach us how to hold fast to you just as you hold fast to us. If Jesus has the authority to rebuke the storm, he has the power to rescue us from anything that we find ourselves in. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you... Prove yourself over and over and over and over again to be faithful. As we come to the communion table this afternoon, as we, we come to this place of remembrance, this place of, of recalling what it is that you have done for us, where you, you once and for all established your authority over sin, death, and the power of hell, God, where, where all of that was accomplished. Lord, we come and we, we thank you that you hold us fast. Lord, we thank you as, as we have this opportunity to come and receive from you, Lord. We ask that you would that you would cause us to have the correct perspective as we face the challenges and the difficulties of this life, as we face each one of us, those seasons of 
of hardship. God cause us to recognize that, that it's but for a moment. in light of eternity with you. As we come to this communion table, Lord, we ask that this would be a time, as we spoke about earlier this morning, that this would be a time of examination. A time where we, we make ourselves available for you to shine a light on the things in our lives that need to be addressed. And in doing so, we become more like you. God, we give all we have to know you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like more information about Wood Street Chapel, check out our website, woodstreetchapel.org, or email us, info at woodstreetchapel.org. Connect with us on Facebook to stay in the loop.